starting in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no, is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it, but it withereth with the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the, grace of the, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let, man, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, variableness, neither a shadow of turning. Of his, own, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You may be seated. Morning, church. This morning we are continuing our study in the Epistle of James. We are in chapter 1. Today we'll be focusing on verses 17 and 18. These two verses seem to sit as capstones for the themes of the letter so far, especially regarding the testing of our faith. In fact, the truths in verses 17 and 18 are foundational to our faith in God. Understanding and believing them will strengthen us and help us to bear up under trial. They're especially important to lay hold of in times of temptation to sin. Sadly, many believers stumble in a time of temptation because of inattention or unbelief concerning these very truths, bringing dishonor to the name of Christ, great personal loss of reward, and some have even experienced shipwreck of their faith. But this does not need to happen because God is for us. When we take up the shield of faith and stand on every promise of His Word, we can stand firm in time of temptation and grow stronger with every trial. That is His will. And all the resources of heaven are available to accomplish that if we receive it. I'd like to review briefly some main points on the testing of our faith from this chapter thus far, leading up to our text today. James has written this letter to the dispersion, the Jewish believers that were scattered abroad beyond Jerusalem by the severe persecution that arose 
regarding Stephen's bold testimony and his martyrdom. He's written with a pastor's heart toward them, desiring to teach and encourage and spur them on. Spur them on to a robust faith, which is necessary in times of trial. He has exhorted them to view trials through the lens of the purpose of God. He wanted them to know that God has a purpose in their trials, and that this knowledge should lead them to count it all joy when they fall into various trials, or all kinds of trials. See that in verse 2. Those of us gathered here today are likely not experiencing the same kinds of trials as these Jewish believers did. But our Heavenly Father has the same good purpose in every trial of any kind. James wanted his beloved brethren, by the way, I noted that several times, uh, many times throughout this epistle, he refers to them as, as brethren in a, in, a, in a kind way, and, and a few times, beloved brethren. And he does this here. He wanted his beloved brethren to know. And the Holy Spirit, the source of these God-breathed words, wants us to know today that the testing of a believer's faith is by God's design and that it is a good and necessary thing. The testing of our faith is intended to produce patient endurance or perseverance. As I was considering this, some words of the hymn, O Church Arise, came to mind. So Spirit come, put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle, that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As we persevere through trials, with faith and joy, confident in the Father's love, wisdom, and good purpose, We are strengthened through His grace by that necessary exercise of our faith. That is His will in trial to strengthen us. And so the testing of our faith produces increasing endurance and will bring us to spiritual maturity, lacking nothing. If we cooperate, if we let patience have its perfect work, verse 4. James returns to this theme in verse 12 with a blessing and a precious promise. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then in verses 13 through 15, we come to understand that trials which God intends for our good can also be an occasion for being tempted to sin. James makes it very clear that God is not involved in our being tempted to sin. That by His very nature, He can have nothing to do with sin. In fact, the temptation to sin is connected to our own desires. So let's pick up in verse 14 now and read through 18, verse 18. We will see as we move forward that this passage is really very strongly connected In other words, the blessed truths of verse 17 and 18 are not intended to be seen as just standing alone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, 
it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And when I hear the heart cry of James here, I recall again that it's the Holy Spirit anointing his mind, his pen, writing it not only for these believers who received the letter, but for us today. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There are some wonderful thoughts and precious promises here. And first we'll just look into what these two verses say and teach. And then we'll consider the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And putting these words right here in this context, 14 through 18, as he worked through the shepherd's heart and pen of James. So we consider verse 17. I want to first consider, partway through it, where it speaks of the Father of lights. This is referring to the heavenly bodies. God is creator, creator of all. He gave the heavenly bodies for light and order. And I don't know about you, but it sure did cause to come to mind that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Obviously, there's a connection there in the lyrics. Think of verse 2. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest... Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifest manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. And then in verse 1, if I can recall that, <laughs> I forgot to bring the hymnal up. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, out forever wilt be. Or at least close to that. Unlike the heavenly bodies God created, which are subject to variation and shadows as they orbit and spin in their courses above, the Father himself does not change. He casts no shadows. Think about that. The source of light does not itself cast a shadow. He is the source of all light. He is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And he is forever the same. These aspects of his nature are presented here in verse 17 in the context here as trustworthy reasons for having confidence that everything we receive from him is always good. Now, I want to look at the, the first few phrases there. It's curious, isn't it, that 
It says every good gift and every perfect gift. Now, some translations may try to combine those, but in the original language, it's separate. And it's actually separate for a reason. In particular, the, the word gift in both places is two different words in the Greek. And the point of the first one is uh, the giving of the gift, which we can often refer to as a gift, but it's, it, it's the, the giving of it. It's the time at which it's given. The second one, and especially when you consider it's connected to the word perfect, that it speaks of a gift that is intended for a purpose and continues to accomplish that purpose. Both aspects are there. Both coming from the good heart of God, his good purpose. So his giving of a gift is good. And the gift is good to start with. But that gift continues to bring good and accomplishes everything that he intended for it. In our case, though, it requires, again, that we cooperate, that we let patience have its perfect work. But as far as our Heavenly Father is concerned, everything that he gives, every gift, is good. And so, not only is everything that we receive from him always good, but his giving of the gift will not fail to be all goodness and blessing in our lives. And his intended purpose for the gift will not fail to come to maturity. And so then when we look at what follows there, we see that these good gifts, perfect gifts, are from above and come down from the Father of lights. They're from above and come down to us. There's a bit of repetition there. It's purposeful. It's for emphasis. And we can see this, not only is it a double emphasis here, that the gifts do not originate with us, but come down from the Father, and we receive them from Him. Later in chapter 3, James again underscores this distinction when he's contrasting the pure and good wisdom of God with our earthly so-called wisdom, which he says does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. The Holy Spirit did not want us to miss this point. So, let's consider for a minute some examples that we can find in the scriptures of God's good gifts. I believe we can see how these truths apply. In particular, the giving of the gift and its continuing goodness all the way to maturity, to completion in what God intended. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Having received that precious gift of salvation by grace through faith, we continue to stand by that same grace, don't we? If we stand, we stand by that grace. 
Is it all used up? Does it ever get used up? No. Truly a gift that keeps on giving. And it will so will do so until that final day. In Ephesians 4, several verses, verse 7 and 8, and then 11 through 13. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verse 11. And he gave himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can you see how much God has intended for those gifts? They're good gifts to start with, but He has a tremendous plan for them to bring us to maturity. Also, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the prophet. So, prophet of all, excuse me. So, not only has he given gifts, uh, various uh, uh, leadership kind of gifts in the body for the equipping of all the saints, but he's given gifts to each one for the common good, for the profit of all. These two are good gifts and are to be continually used to build up one another. And so it's in the midst of trials that we discover his abundant provision and blessing. We can see the nature of his gifts by these examples, and we see that the context, in particular, in this passage here, is trials, the testing of our faith. So regarding his goodness, I just want to read a couple of short passages from Psalms to continue to see the blessing of God, the goodness of God, the goodness of his gifts. Out of Psalm 34. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want for those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And then from Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O oh, Lord of hosts. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. So as we look at verse 18, first thing we see is of his own will. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's really just a single word uh, from which we get of his own will. And it has particular meanings is worth taking note of. It's emphasizing that there is no mixture, pure, and that it's unprovoked. It's not a result of an external cause. 
of his own will emanates from him, from his desire. Ephesians 1.9 says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So out of the purity and goodness of his own desires, he brought us forth by the word of truth. By the message of the gospel and the power of it. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Colossians 1.5 Then in Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And his purpose is that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, because of this was this is a letter written to the Jews pretty early on after the, they were scattered, it very well could refer to the fact that these Jewish believers that James had written are part of the first wave of believers in God's magnificent plan to take an inheritance from the nations for his beloved son. But it could also refer to the believers as a whole, saved out of the world, holy unto the Lord. In either case, both speak of the marvelous grace of God in salvation. <clears throat> in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. How can you not love a God like that? To bless us that way? To pull us out of the miry pit? Set our feet upon a rock? We love him because he first loved us. So, those are wonderful truths. And as I said earlier, it's, it's really the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is God it, Himself in His goodness, in His character. Find in Hebrews 11 that we believe that God is, that He exists, and that He's a rewarder, those who diligently seek Him. We believe. He's there. We see evidence of that. But we also believe his testimony of his goodness. That is the basis of our faith. For example, when we pray, we're not to have faith in our prayer. We're to have faith in God. Wasn't that Jesus' response at one point when his disciples were amazed at something he prayed for? They were shocked. He didn't point to having faith in prayer pointed to having faith in God. It's rooted in God's goodness and His will. So, we want to look then at how these verses, verse 17 and 18, contrast with verses 14 and 15. There's really a strong connection here. I believe they're intentional and direct comparisons, and the contrast could not be more stark. 
First, there's a comparison of his abundant goodness to our own never-satisfied desires. His blessings are all good, all of the time. And us, we're full of self, often drawn away from good, drawn away from God by our own desires. That's comparing to verse 14, when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. There's also the comparison of his own desires to our own desires. His own desires are always pure and good, always beneficial. Our own desires are evil, blighted by sin. And we lean toward being independent from God, the source of all good. It's because of the curse of sin. Our own desires are not pure. They are a mixture. And then there's a comparison of the fruit of his desires to the fruit of our own desires. His own desires always bear only good fruit, the peaceable fruit of righteousness, and bring glory to him. He brought us forth for his good purposes. Our own desires always bring evil, harm, and loss, bringing forth sin and death. There's also the comparison of his word of truth to our self-deception. He brought us forth by the word of truth. We are drawn away, away from the good path by our own evil desires, having believed a lie. Now, why is it then that we want to go after our own desires? Consider this comparison. Consider God, His goodness, always, all the time. And consider our own desires. Where does it lead us? Why would we want to do this? Because if every good gift is from God, then is there anything remaining after every? Every good giving of gift and every gift that continues to mature and bless? What's left? Doesn't this say that trying to satisfy our own desires, independent of the Father's will and timing, and resources will never result in good. Ever. Because every good gift comes down from the Father. We receive it from Him as a gracious gift. Do you see that? Not one time Not one time will following our own desires lead to good. These words of truth in verse 17 and 18 are wisdom from above. They're intended to encourage us to trust wholeheartedly in God, to depend on Him for everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
He graciously provides in Christ. They are also intended to alert us to the wiles of the devil who tempts us through our own desires to satisfy those desires through other means than by receiving the Father's gracious provisions from above in his timing. Satan always offers shortcuts. Consider Jesus tempting, being tempted in the wilderness. That's interesting to, con- to consider Jesus compared to us. Was there sinful desires to be drawn away? No. He, he who knew no sin became sin for us. When he was tempted, though, remember he's fully God and fully man. After fasting for four days, you can believe that he was fully hungry. So, in that simple illustration of that temptation, he was tempted and he was able. Yes, he could have turned that stone to bread right then and ate it. It would have been a perfect loaf, warm, tasty. He had to refuse to independently follow his own desires. When, G, when, the, when the work of Christ on the cross breaks the power of sin, that enables us to do that. Now, we still, <laughs> and we, we ache over this, we still have a sinful flesh that trips us up. We, we're just, we just saw this again, looking at this. We looked at it last week, we're looking at it again in, in connection to 17 and 18. So yes, we, our sinful desires are still there. But we are able because he gives more grace. The problem is always and still and remains that we are tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires. And that's why it is good, even though it may be a little difficult to to sit and stew a little bit on these matters of, of temptation to sin, yet we're continuing to, to look and, and see it connected to God's goodness. We see in verses 17 and 18 the contrast. And that's not just a contrast. It's not just a sterile contrast. It's the grace that's available to us all the time. Every time of need. Never tempting us more than what we were able Making a way of escape that would be able to bear it. Always. Our sinful desires also are usually a perversion of God's good gifts that are in store for us. And do you know, He has good gifts stored up. Scriptures tell us that. But we want them now. So, a couple different ways. We can have a selfish desire to have a good thing right now, or maybe a selfish desire for an overabundance of a good thing that's available to us now. We have many tricks for ourselves, many ways of deceiving ourselves into thinking we're, we're, uh, 
we're okay going forward, being drawn away by our own desires. But does it ever result in good? If we have faith in God, on the other hand, and believe His Word, His warning here as well, side by side, then we will want to walk closely with Him. Exercising our faith in the time of temptation so that we continue to get stronger, more convinced as we go along to choose God's will, to choose His good gifts, to choose His timing, to choose to receive it as a gift from Him instead of grabbing it for ourselves. There's a couple of illustrations in the scriptures that are really vivid here of one that grasps for his own desires. One in particular that is uh, incredible. We won't just read it. I'm just going to summarize it. I I think you've probably heard it enough. David going after Bathsheba. Scheming, deceiving, murdering along the way. Hiding. And then God sends Nathan the prophet to him. You know the story. He sets him up. David's just all beside himself with the story. That man has to be killed. And Nathan yells, you are the man. And through Nathan, God says to him, essentially, I gave you so much. I gave you your master's kingdom. Speaking of Saul, I gave you his house. I gave you his wives. And it would have given you so much more. Anything. Just ask. Why did you pursue that which was forgiven? For, sorry, forbidden. Why did you pursue your own evil desires when I had so much good stored up for you? God is always a redeemer. But that was a huge loss. And it continued. That's the, this is another thing about our, what we, when we go after that, the, God's good never stops. The, the bad results never stops. Look at the prophecies. I mean, God told David ahead of time what he was going to face because of this. And it just wrecked his family. For generations. But there's another story that uh, it's simple to look at, to consider, but it wrecked all generations. When Satan tempted Eve in the garden, consider the, in a nutshell, the, the thing he presented. Talked her into looking at that fruit from the perspective of satisfying her own desires independently from God. She looked at it. It looked good. Actually, it looked like it would be pretty tasty. It looked desirable to make one wise. Just, you know, Satan just, you know, whispered, and there it was, just drawn away. At that time, 
from a state of perfection. In Christ, we are able to say no to the flesh. Do we? Eve was able. Adam was able. As scriptures tell us, Eve was deceived. Adam was not. He just plainly rebelled. He knew what he was doing. All this, all that's happened, the the curse of sin upon all generations, because of this one act, going our own way, being led away by our own desires is never good. Never results in good. So, I want to now just consider some uh, practical application and advice. And it's just, in this, it's just a series of questions. Perhaps not every one of these is something that hits each person, but I, I pray that the Lord's Spirit would, would uh, draw us into further consideration and, and uh, willingness to walk carefully and with faith toward God. Faith that He is who He says He is here, as the Father lights from whom all good gifts come. So, Regarding temptation to sin, what kind of sins are we talking about? Aren't some sins worse than others? This is inevitably something that comes up when we think about it. Some sins do have more devastating or more immediate consequences in this life compared to other sins. But, and also some sins have irreversible consequences. David, King David found that out. There were some things that happened that were irreversible. But do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every self-desire, independent of God's will, if entertained, if allowed to hang around, will draw us away. Away from the dependence on the good and perfect provisions from above and will result in the conception of sin, according to James 1, verse 15. Every thought or feeling of self-indulgence that is given place to grow in the heart and mind will grow to maturity and give birth to sin. This is the progression. Every sin will then grow to maturity. Maturity in the sense of bearing its own fruit. And that fruit is death. Proverbs 16.25 There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. This is James' heart cry. It's a spirit's heart cry to each one of us today. So, Can we avoid being tempted to sin? No. We cannot avoid being tempted to sin. 
Because the occasion comes from within. Based on our very nature. But we can avoid conceiving the sin. Don't take the bait. Remember as Steve shared about this last week. These were hunting and fishing terms. Bait. A snare. We're drawn in. Don't take the bait. Be alert. Do not even follow the bait. Don't hang around. Recognize it for what it is. Will not the Spirit help us and teach us? He's given to us for that reason. Listen to His voice. The scripture counsels us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. To take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. To set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What should we do then when we realize, when we're alerted that we are being tempted to sin? I want to just put forward a few key uh, passages James 4, draw near to God. We, we often will hear this, put this way, draw near to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's not quite right. We need to look at the whole passage and see how it works together. Let me put it together this way. Draw near to God in humility and submission to his will. With single-mindedness, in other words, with faith in God and dependence, on his resources. And this means saying yes to his will and no to our own. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise. But it is a conditional promise. It is a wonderful promise. It's a good promise, but it is a conditional promise. And then also Hebrews 12. Key phrase, look unto Jesus. And then also consider him. Look unto Jesus who joyfully endured the cross for us. Remember Christ. Remember the cross. Remember what it cost. Remember the benefits to us. Then consider him who resisted temptation for us, striving against sin to the point of bloodshed. Jesus did not have those evil desires. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But as was brought out during our time of communion last week, the Lord was tempted in all ways like us. He was tempted to satisfy His own desires from His own power on His own time. Thank God he did not. He was able to be the perfect sacrifice. So, remember the teaching in James 4 when you are tempted to sin? And look to Jesus and consider him. It is good for us to do that anytime. It is especially good in time of temptation. Look to him who faced that as well. So, how can we grow stronger? And more able to stand against temptation. 
Hebrews 12 is worth looking at again. Looking unto Jesus joyfully, then enduring our cross, following in the footsteps of our Lord and Master, and considering Him as we continue to strive against sin. But also, later in the chapter, enduring the Father's chastening. Endure the Father's chastening and rejoice that you're a son or daughter of the King of the universe who has all resources available to you. Be reminded that we are a child of God. That can help us remember that everything that we need comes down from our Father in Heaven as good gifts from Him. And then, there's a reason for the chastening. Receive the Father's training. Remember that He sends trials to strengthen us. It's not just to, not just to teach us concepts, but strengthen our faith. And our faith must be grounded in His goodness, His abundant supply of it, and His willingness to help in time of need. As we receive the Father's training, and according to Hebrews 12, only after we have been trained by it, by the trials, by the chastening, do we reap the peaceable fruit of righteousness in due season. So take note, there's no shortcut here. We must sow to the Spirit and wait patiently if we respect to reap from the Spirit. There's also a, a, a blessed chapter, and actually the whole epistle, but in particular 1 John the, the chapter 1, that speaks of walking in the light as He is in the light, in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the brethren. So, Think in terms of the eternal. And don't find yourself trying to hide what cannot be hidden. If we think in terms of the eternal, we, we cannot hide anything. It will all be out there. So think eternal now. And don't go this way. Let that be a, a, an alert, <laughs> a siren when you find yourself hiding. Right then, turn to God. Submit in humility. Say yes to His will. No to yours. Has to do both. (laughs) Mixture does not work. And then, John 15. It's, it's It's a good parallel to that. Walking in the light... Also, abiding in Christ. As he says, without me you can do nothing. Verse 5. So live in dependence on his gifts from above. And also, in verse 10, abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So remember, there are no substitutes for his goodness. Every good gift. And so, only his good gifts. Everything else is sour and ends in sin and death. Walk in the light and abide in Christ. One more thing I want to bring out, because earlier in James 1, uh, in verse 5, when it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and this, the context of this is in a trial, 
If you lack wisdom, what, what to do? You've, you're in a trial. There's many times we're just not sure how to move forward. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. I want to point out that that word liberally, <clears throat> uh, what well, I think even the King James still translates it uh, simplicity. Gives to all with simplicity. It, it does mean that. And there's an important connection here to being double-minded or single-minded, which he points out just a few verses later. In Matthew 6, verse 22, and there's also a parallel passage here in, in Luke 8, same thing is said. If your eye is single or simple or clear or good, use different translations, but the real the point that I want to key in on is single, single-minded, not double or divided or obscured you know, if there's, there's a, and it has a sense of if something's folded, you know, it begins to obscure. Something's in the way. So when it says that when your eye is single and your whole body can be full of light, imagine, uh, not imagine that our eyes don't quite work this way, but it's, the terminology is meant to, to, to bring out this point that if it's, if it's clear, if it's single, there's, it's simple, it's just open. And God's light is shining through. It lights up everything. This is how we walk in the light. Single-mindedly. That's when it's effective. We must not be double-minded in regard to temptation to sin. It will lead us down the wrong path every time. There's also a warning here. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Remember that verse about sowing and reaping? It's something that <clears throat> the Lord is always faithful this way. It's <laughs> it, I can make a, a fleshly comment here for a second. It's frustrating to the flesh, but it's good. Because it seems like almost every time that I work on preparing a message, that whatever it's about, the Lord uses it as an opportunity to open up and <laughs> show me how I'm, I've failed. Sometimes, though, I get a little uh, more intense dousing of that. And I saw some of this this week where things that I would see Developing or sometimes having already developed in my children. The Lord, as he does sometimes in, in the scriptures, he, you know, he steps back. Remember with Hezekiah, he kind of stepped back to see what was in his heart when he already knew Hezekiah was going to see. Others were going to see too. So I got a little bit of that this week. Uh, I thank him for it. Some things that I just really was not attentive to, was not sharp, willingly, and by practice, I know. It's not like it just happens and, you know, not my fault. That, 
that's the fleshly response. No, it is my fault. It's my own desires <laughs> that set this up. Might be viewed as a little thing by some, but no sin is little. When, when we are practicing going after our own desires and true to his word in describing what sin does, it spreads like leaven. It was an opportunity because it was something that I had not been sharp on, not dealt with, had just let it, you know, when something would crop up and, you know, you just kind of, you're busy and you really don't want to deal with it. That's what happens. Double-minded is what scriptures would call that. Hypocrisy might even be a stronger term. It can be that if I'm representing that as not happening. I'm uh, not doing that right now. I'm acknowledging, confessing before you that something as simple as just going off and reading a book because I love to read and I don't have not even close to the amount of time that I would like to read. So I could just be walking along in a house and there's a book. I, I love to read. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good. It's not, it's not a bad habit. But when it's sourced out of my own desires and if I feel the prick of the Spirit, which I will if I'm not just, have not just completely blunted the edge from practice, I've seen some of that in my children. I'm not going to tell you who. But it's in me. And this very issue needs to be fully dealt with. That I might not sin against God. And that it might not spread to further generations. So we as parents may see in our children, kind of like looking in a mirror, a pattern. And if, if that's still an active pattern, I exhort you to listen to the Spirit and let Him bring you to a clear facing of it and ridding of it as a pattern. As James says, we all stumble in many ways. This is, this is our, our lot in life in, in that regard that we, we're not going to... Don't, don't ever think you've, then you've somehow got it totally in hand because we, we're easily dull, busy, not sharp, not alert, and, and we're going to stub our toe, so to speak, sometimes. But may it not be by practice and feeding our own desires. So when we pray that our children would choose the right way. Take a good hard look in the mirror. Make sure that we're not double-minded in setting that up for them.
So I'd like to just uh, offer a prayer on behalf of all of us. Father, I thank you for your good word. Sometimes your good word is a hard word to us, but it's necessary. And we want to exercise our faith. We want to not put, it, put this off. We want to, right now, take a step forward in strengthening our faith, in, in declaring that we believe your word, that every good and every perfect gift comes down from you. It is from above. It's not from within. Always. It's that way. I pray, Father, that we will then submit to you and let you do your perfect work through the trials that come our way. And when we are tempted to sin in the midst of a trial, we pray for the grace to be alert, humility, to be responsive. You require this of us because you have enabled us to do it. You don't just hand us humility as a gift. We must do this. We must submit and draw near to you. Sometimes we must also cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. But your promises are true. I thank you, Lord, for your good promises and for your great love and mercy toward us. Amen.